What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of Dusty Dimes. Today we have on former NHL player for the Philadelphia Flyers, also former assistant coach for the Adirondack and Lehigh Valley Phantoms, and last but not least, founder of Hemp Heels, Riley Cote. How are you, man? I'm good, thanks. What's going on? What's up, Riley? How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Uh, Thanks for coming on. Sorry it's been tough to get you on with uh, Das Mule and all of them. <laughs> but um yeah no it's glad it's glad it worked out so uh real quick how did hemp heels start man i always want to know because in the valley i mean you were kind of the biggest name around here and everyone want to know how hemp heels wanted to like you know start out yeah it uh well it started back in 2010 when i retired and um i had a laundry list of physical injuries as well as some collateral damage from fighting and you know, concussion wise. And, uh, is when I really kind of, when I retired, I really changed everything in my life and started, you know, peeking down, you know, different paths of alternative medicine and alternative healing and starting with, uh, you know, nutritional healing and then getting into like some Chinese medicine and, and the whole bit. But as I started studying this and learning more about the natural world, um, the hemp the hemp and cannabis plant seemed to always kind of resurface uh, amongst, you know, arguably the most sustainable and useful plant uh, plants on the planet. So um, it only made sense that I that I would um, pursue something that aligned with all my charity work that I'd previously done. And I realized that, you know, the cannabis and hemp plant had, has such a positive effect on public health, environmental health, uh, you know, economic health. So. Um, once I learned about the nutritional profile of the hemp seed, that just kind of really just opened up this can of worms um, that I, I've, I've been kind of pursuing since then. So I started the, the Hemp Heals Foundation in 2010 um, and started off with um, a music festival in Philly and actually we still do it. We actually had to move locations this year from the festival pier to BB&T Pavilion in Camden. So it's been going. It's been going on eight years since our first mes- uh, music festival, and it's been a, you know an advocacy and educational platform that's evolved since then. But uh, nonetheless, it was my you know entry point into the space. Now, was it 2010 when you retired that you noticed that cannabis or even hemp was more <laughs> beneficial than big pharma? Yes. So my, uh, when I retired in 2010, my last two surgeries, a nose surgery and, uh, and a finger surgery, I just used cannabis, mm-hmm. um, no pharmaceutical drugs. And I haven't touched one since then, actually. So um, that was when I realized, wow, OK, well, I, I can manage these types of things with just, you know, cannabis. You know, it, obviously, it was it was bought in the black market back then. It wasn't uh, it was no medical program. So um, nonetheless, it is you know, it is medicinal. It is therapeutic cannabis, nonetheless. And uh uh, once I started looking and understanding at this other side of the plants, um, basically the industrial applications, you know, again, food, fiber, textiles, uh, few, uh, you know, the, the, the rest of the gambit and then medicinal hemp. As I started learning about the non-psychoactive, non-intoxicating cannabinoids like CBD is really when it kind of it just started opening up these other avenues, these other arms to to what hemp heels actually was and um it really started with diet mm-hmm. and it really it really stems back to really immediately when i retired it was almost it was a decision i made right then and there and it's been evolving ever since and it's been amazing you know when you when you start taking care of yourself and you put yourself out there in a, in a, a different light um 
you know, the universe kind of responds in a positive fashion. So it's, it's been an interesting ride. Do you, do you notice a lot of athletes kind of transitioning to, you know, you, you see more of a natural, um, base kind of like therapy instead of going big pharma. I mean, a lot of guys that retire even still, I wouldn't say even the show, but any type of professional sport, do you see a lot of guys trying to smoke a lot of weed or, I don't know, man. Like I see a lot of guys doing, it, especially in men's league, just to get over like for the next day for work. So, oh yeah, and you know it's something that I've seen th- throughout my whole hockey career, honestly. Um, with without without the real educational component to it. So, uh, with junior hockey, East Coast League, Central Hockey League, American Hockey League, NHL. Um, there's always a you know a, a, a nice handful of guys or two handfuls of guys that you know consume cannabis. Um, pretty regularly and, and, you know, kind of in the open amongst that group of guys. So um, guys have already been using plant medicines, but like, it was very like, it was kind of like figure it out yourself. You know, it was just kind of like it resonated with you. It helped you sleep, help you calm, you know, calm the nervous system and calm anxiety. But like there was no manual back then. There was no, you know, medical professionals supporting what we were feeling. Mm-hmm. It really wasn't until I retired, you know, in 2010, age of 28, when I started like actually reading about it and, and studying it and learning about, you know, the prohibition of cannabis and how it, you know, it was the, the number one ingredient in, our, in all in all medicines in the U.S. pharmacopoeia. And, you know, going back even further, it was, you know, the number one you know, ingredient in, in Chinese medicine and, and that whole bit. So now, now in the age of information, everyone's got a smartphone and internet um, and, and there's so much money and resources put towards strength and conditioning and recovery that now there's this whole other you know, world of cannabis based products, hemp derived CBD products that enter the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the sports world. Um, so, so there's a really conservative guys that might not want THC that are now using CBD products for recovery and, you know, inflammation and pain and the whole bit, but there's certainly a lot more guys probably using dry flower cannabis. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a whole other world again, guys, um, young, even younger generation guys, um, using any sort of other cannabis-based products, non-intoxicating CBD products and, and the rest of them. So um, I, I would like to think that if you're an athlete um, now, um, it's collegiate, um, well, I guess in NCAA, you got to be very careful of drug testing, but, um, you know, collegiate or pro or even a- a- amateur junior, like your cannabis has to be on your radar. You know, it's, 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 it's more understood. There's a lot more science and studies coming out that support this. Um, and, you know, guys aren't stupid. You know, they know what works. They, they know, you know, the difference between alcohol and cannabis. You know, they know the difference between, you know, other street drugs and cannabis. So, um, you know, I, I, I think the law and the government has kind of made a fool out of us and kind of, you know, fundamentally misled us to believing in pharmaceuticals over plant-based medicines. And, you know, I think, we're, we're in the midst of a revolution and things are changing very, very quickly. Yeah, totally. And, um, um, you know, uh, you're, you're going to see within the next year, an NHL hockey team uh, will be sponsored by a cannabis company. You watch in the next year, max two years, but I would give it a, a year. I, I know for a fact that at least three NHL teams have already been approached by some of the biggest big, uh, cannabis companies in the world. You just re- they recently announced a, a partnership with the NHL Alumni Association and Canopy Growth to research uh, concussions, you know, using cannabinoids and, and managing concussions and TBI. So it's going that direction. I mean, the cat's out of the bag. You can't, you can't put it back in now. So now it's just about 
more and more people speaking publicly about it, and then we can move this thing a little bit further along a little bit quicker, you know, as, as, as more people support it. Completely agree with you with that, Riles. And the biggest thing, too, is, like, I, I remember the one article I was reading about, about um, they, I know in the NHL, they do three drug tests, and they kind of, kind of look away towards cannabis showing up on a drug test. They kind of look more towards the street drugs that are harder. And, you know, what else were they looking for? Um, I, I forget how you explained it. It was like an, they have an A, B, and a C one. And when I was reading up on that, it's kind of one of those things that compared to other sports, NHL or even hockey in general, they shouldn't even look at cannabis as you can't even call it a gateway drug in my eyes. Like there's no way around it. It's, it's all natural. It comes from the earth. Like, I don't know, man, it's just big pharma makes things look a lot less. How do I say it? A lot less harder than what they are. Yeah. Well, they've done a good job smearing it up because you know, when people are fearful of something, they usually comply. So when you, you know, back in 1937, when you, you bust out all these reefer madness propaganda, videos and uh, and just you know fill the newspapers up with garbage well people you know you, you're and it's very real too because not only you're lying about it and deceiving the population about it now you're threatening to incarcerate them for the use of this so you know it's very real so you know it really did it did really change public perception on it um and and it's really ruined a lot of lives but now you know it's um, again, the age of information, you, you can't, you can't suppress the truth for very long. You can keep it, you can keep it down for a while, but eventually, you know, uh, infinite intelligence and, and just common sense and the natural world always rises above. So now you're seeing again, this revolution happening where it's basically one plant overturning a bunch of different pharmaceuticals just in the recovery space, you know, not even talking about disease state stuff, you know, like you specific to MS or specific to cancer or, or epilepsy or Parkinson's. So um, it, it, it's, it's, ama- it's amazing. And the, and the fact that, you know, a synthetic cannabis drug like Marinol has been around for 12 to 15 years. And the fact that they own it, you know, uh, the U.S. government owns a, a patent on cannabinoids as neuroprotectants and antioxidants since 2004. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they, we're talking we're, we're talking a significant amount of time. Mm-hmm to you know to again to keep this agenda going where we're still pushing uh, opioids you know synthetic heroin to manage pain we're still pushing ssris and sleeping pills and, and that, all this all this toxic garbage basically um, this, yeah, yeah garbage really uh, that doesn't it doesn't heal so it's uh no you know it's frustrating it's frustrating to learn this because you realize how many people have suffered in, in the name of cannabis prohibition whether it's you know using the wrong medications because you know they've been forced down this pathway of you know and and believing it and then again incarcerating people and ruining lives that way you know how many people can't get jobs or um, you know can't cross the border or in jail because of because of a plant yeah. and it's nothing more than um politics you know when you when you when you peel back the layers on cannabis cannabis isn't illegal because it's bad for you it's because it interferes with not just pharmaceuticals but oil uh synthetic fibers like nylon cotton uh pulp and paper um you know you you name it all the all the synthetic industries um and and, and, you know and and pharmaceutical and, and tobacco and alcohol and the whole bit so it's like um, you know, cannabis is that powerful. It is, it is, it is that much of a threat where you have to, you know, you have to outlaw it um, for, for, you know, for, for the corporations to keep the status quo. Correct. And, and that's crumbling. The house of cards is crumbling by yep. the minute. Correct. Now, not trying to really get off topic here, but 
I know back when you were playing the WHL, um, you played for Prince Albert Raiders, correct? Yep. Now, years. did you guys ever want to change your logo to what they have today? Because back then, man, holy smokes. It was like <laughs> such an old school logo. <laughs> but, uh, you know, honestly, that wasn't really uh, – <laughs> You know, I was just happy to play there. I, didn't, you know, I wasn't even in the mindset of changing logos or, you know, thinking of a better one. It was just more like enjoy my time here. You know, now I look back on it and I see the difference. You know, I see, you know, I see I'm more aware of that type of stuff. But when you're young and in the zone and, you know, hungry and focused, like, you know, things like that. Like, that, I don't even think it crossed my mind. You know what I mean? It was, it was just cool to play in the Western Hockey now, League. How you know, did you get in the WHL? How did yeah. I get there? Yeah, it was uh, it was it was actually a draft. Believe it or not, there was a a draft out of Bantam. So after my 15 year old year uh, in Winnipeg, where I grew up, uh, there was a draft for the Western Hockey League and a draft for the Ontario League and Quebec League, all separate. Mm-hmm. And then you basically you know, just just like an NHL draft, so your your foot's in the door, you're drafted, but you still got to go and make the team, and you know that whole bit. So then I went uh, to training camp and and well the 15 year old year, but then the following year I went there to actually make the team. And I did. So I stuck around and landed playing four years there. And then um, afterwards, I mean, when you played for Philadelphia, did you really ever have, like, your biggest rival or, like, your toughest opponent opponent to worry about? Well, I mean, there was so many. I mean, every guy t- fought was tough. There was no easy fight. But, um, you know, I think Pittsburgh, uh, just, you know, as a team, um, rivalry, and I always had some good, you know, some good personal rivalries with Eric Goddard or George LaRock or whoever. But, um, you know, not easy fights by any means. And then, you know, the Rangers, um, you know, Devils, anyone in our really in our division was was a was was a rival. And you know, I seemed to fight those guys a lot more than than, than, than any other team because I played against them so much. But, uh, you know, when I when I knew I was playing, it, it, it was it was war. Like, you know, I was mentally preparing to fight whether I did or not. It was like, you know, it was that was the mindset going into the game. So if I fought the guy two or three times before, I was still going into the game expecting to fight. You know, it was just kind of um, the way I was wired, but also my situation. I just felt like if I didn't fight or show that I was going to fight every night, that if someone would take my job or I would, you know, show that I wasn't, uh, you know, ready to go or whatnot. So hey, was uh, cannabis able to, was cannabis able to be there for you at the end of the game? Like when you went home at night and kind of recover a little bit, were you able to smoke a little bit or? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I've done that since I was back in junior, man. I started smoking when I was fifteen, and it's been a huge part of my life, honestly. Um, again, the first good chunk of it, not really understanding really what I was, what, what type of you know um, plant I was using and what it was doing to me. You know what I mean? I, I, it was just kind of one of those things. I guess it was a spiritual feeling. It just it resonated with me. It made me feel good. I mean, even though the establishment and everyone was telling me that this was a bad thing. You know, it was an outlaw thing. Um, you're going to go to jail for this. It's bad. It's going to break, you know, you know, kill your brain cells and all this propaganda. And I was just, I guess I was just the way I was wired. Like most young kids are you just like, you don't listen to any of the crap. You just go ahead exactly. and do it. Um, thankfully I did because I really, I really tr- attribute my cannabis use to, you know, my mental health now, um, even getting into the CB stuff after, but I, I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't have that experience and that belief system in cannabis before I learned about the nutritional profile, the hemp seed. So um, it, it, it's really been interesting how this thing's evolved into, 
you know, um, very underground, very recreational, you know, drug dealers in the black market to, oh, legal, you know, for medical. And all of a sudden now we're changing the game with brain injury and, you know, this whole other world that I could never even imagine back then when I'm, you know, smoking my bong with my buddies and, you know, that whole bit. So it's, uh, um, and, and, you know, the funny thing about it now is like now, you know, back then I was taking it on the back yeah. end. Now when I play, I, I, I smoke before I play every single time. Like, hockey is a creative sport. And the spiritual component to cannabis is creativity. Look at all musicians and artists and, and, and people that have been inspired by cannabis. Like I love playing pond hockey or regular hockey. Stomp. Oh, yeah. It is, it is, you talk about being dialed in and, and playing hockey like the way it's supposed to be played. Not, I don't have to worry about fighting. I don't have to worry about Donald Brashear, George Rock knocking on, my, you know, knocking on my doorstep. It's like go out there, have fun. You know, don't worry about the mistakes you're going to make. Be creative, make plays. You, just let, you, know? you like, literally and, get to be yourself like that. Yeah, man. It's like it's the best it's the best thing in the world. Like hockey and cannabis, they go together like, you know, like PB&J. Like, I don't even know what. Yeah, yeah. PB&J. There you go. Like, it's, it's amazing, you know, and I'm going to explain that to people. They're, you know, they have a hard time understanding what I mean by that. I actually recently went to Colorado for a three on three pond hockey tournament. Oh. And this was really surprising to me. It was it was awesome event on you know on this lake, Grand Lake, um, and they had tents, they had food vendors, and all this stuff. They had reggae music, stick figure playing the whole bit. But like, I would have like I was smoking. I I couldn't believe how many people were just drinking beer. And I was like, okay, we're we're mixing we're mixing um, one of the most creative sports on the planet with one of the most destructive substances on the planet, and that's always kind of been like you know the culture of hockey's always been ingrained with yeah. alcohol beer drinking beer drinking and i'm like thinking in my head i'm like come on why can't we smoke and enjoy cannabis while we play hockey yeah being outside connecting with the, you know the environment people and connecting with the sport and um you know what i mean i was just like shaking my head and i'm like that's what my whole mission is is changing the culture i'm not it, it, through hockey because hockey is still still an alcohol driven sport no it is you know it's still it's still like it's still normal to go just just crush beers with the boys after and it's like why can't we do that exact same thing commune you know connecting with the butt the boys unwinding relaxing recovering which which what you're what you're trying to do with alcohol but minus the hangover minus the dehydration minus the anti-recovery and then in the, in the exact opposite the opposite of that you go to bed a little earlier you sleep better you wake up feeling better and you still you still connected with your teammates. Yep. You still had you know you still went out and you know you can still go uh, track down some girls. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, that doesn't mean you have to pick one or the other. Um, you know, so it's uh, uh, to me it's like I would love to see in my lifetime where it's like guys are no longer drinking beers after and it's cannabis based. You know what I mean? And, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not an I'm a prohibition of you know, prohibitionist for alcohol. I just know what alcohol has done for my personal life. And it's done nothing but negative, negative things, poor decision making. Um, you know, there's a, a few things along my life that I, I regret because of alcohol and, and I'll drink now and then like a glass of wine, but I, I hardly drink because I just don't like the way it makes me yeah. feel, you know what I mean? And if, I, if I could be, if I could have been taught that um, in my life, early in my life where I had, instead of me having to learn that, you know, I could, I could have probably saved 10, 15 years of my life. You know what I mean? I would you know, you talked about a gate, gateway drug earlier. You talked about gateway drug, alcohol, man. I mean, all the stupid shit I've done in my life, I've been drinking. All the street drugs I've done, drinking, you know? Everything I've done, but you know, any 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 fight I've ever been in, drinking. So, I mean, you talk about the gateway drug. It's a gateway to destruction. Like, cannabis is a gateway to wellness and recovery. It's an exit drug. 
I know Darren McCarty very well. And, and this guy was a heavy alcoholic um, and, and, and had some other, you know, uh, substance abuse issues with, with, with opioids and the rest of it. He used cannabis to get off alcohol and get off uh, opioids. And there's a million stories like that. And that's, that's the story that needs to be told. And uh, it, it, this is this is lifesaver shit, you know. Oh no, yeah, percent. Um, TJ, do you want to touch on any of this, man? I've been talking the whole time. No, no, I Riles, I just, I just got a question for you. Back in 05, the Calder Cup Finals at the Wells Fargo Center. Can you touch on that, like what that meant to you and what it was like playing in front of all those people in Philadelphia at the Wells Fargo Center? Oh yeah, it was it was it was, it was surreal. And you know the the storyline of that season. I don't want to you know drag out your you know the answer to your question, but I mean. I was actually in the Central Hockey League started that year. I got called up by Ron Hextall, signed me to a 25-game professional trial agreement. Um, that expired, signed another one. That expired, signed another one. And signed four of those throughout the season. We landed up having an unbelievable team. I led the team in penalty minutes, won the Calder Cup. And then, you know, we, we, you know that, that we moved from the Spectrum to the Wells Fargo Center. It was, like, all purple. Um, it, it, was, it was just an all-around amazing experience that whole year. Like, the, the team – you know, the, the storyline of my personal life and then, you know, winning the championship was just like gravy. Um, so it, it, that, that, that whole season to me, it would just like sticks out out of all my, 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 my hockey seasons combined is, is, is the best one all around. Just personal, you know, personal growth, uh, you know, personal growth from a hockey perspective and then just like team growth and then, you know, winning, winning, it's all about winning. You're, you're trying to win every year and it's, it's hard to do. So to cap it off with the Calder Cup in Philly, you know, a city that really embraced me and, um, you know, that I fit in perfectly just, you know, based on the way I'm wired and the way I played. Um, it was awesome. No, it's all, yeah, I, I had the privilege of being there. I was actually at that game when you guys won. Yeah, it was awesome. Oh, cool. Right on. Riles, now how did you get into coaching? So in 2010, when, uh, when I retired, um, I had one more year in my, uh, contract with the flyers and again i was i was banged up uh I, you know i wasn't in a good place mentally um i wasn't pl- i didn't play much that year john stevens got fired peter Le- laviolette had got hired and basically had no use for me um so i was in a, you know i was just in a bad place mentally you know hockey wasn't fun for me anymore i kind of proved myself that i could make it and you know i was partying too much you know the whole the whole bit and that summer in the off season paul holmgren had called me up um, and offered me a coaching job, an assistant coaching job with the Adirondack Phantoms at the time. Michelle Samuelson was his, was the assistant coach um, before that, and his house had burnt down. You know, ironically, got struck by lightning, so this job opened up. And Homer called me up and, and offered it to me, and it was just like I just sat there and thought about it. I said I'd get back to him, and as soon as I got off the phone with him, it was just like immediately clicked in my head like this is an, this is an exit strategy for me. This is a way to get out of the game and still stay in the game, and then actually pursue my healing and pursue what I wanted to do. So it all kind of aligned together where I was still in hockey. Now I could actually get out of playing hockey and, and, and kind of remove myself from the, the player side of it, you know, move myself on the other side of the fence. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't uh, out with the guys anymore. I was at home, you know, to taking care of myself, smoking, doing my thing, you know, relaxing and, and not being feeling like I had to, you know, uh, join the guys and drink, you know what I mean? And that whole bit. So that was kind of part of it. But yeah, so I got into coaching, um, in 2010, only because of an opportunity like that presented itself to me. And then just that's what kind of facilitated me retiring and me getting into cannabis and the whole bit. Uh, it, was, it was interesting. You know, I, I couldn't have scripted it. Uh, just it just the way, it, you know, when you I guess when you're quietly praying for something to happen, 
I guess for me, it was kind of praying for me to, you know, for, for, for me to find some clarity where I, where I needed to go, what direction I needed to go. The hockey, you know, the hockey, professional hockey venture was kind of, I could see it, you know, I could see it kind of going on on the decline. So it was for me an opportunity to, to explore the real world a little bit um, and, uh, you know, get out of hockey, which I'd played my whole life, obviously. So that was, you know, a major decision in my life, but it just, it just resonated with me properly. It just, I needed to do it. I needed to get out of that lifestyle and find a better way. And that's, that's the road I've been on. Since oh then. yeah, for sure, man. Like it's one of those things that I've never heard this side of you. I played men's league against you a couple of times at PPL center. And it's like to hear this side of you, it's just awesome because there's a lot of guys that I think need to hear this side that, cannabis isn't a, a bad drug man like it's never has been and it never will be and for someone like you to come out and finally say that and really just like try to you know, get people to hear your side of the story it, it's awesome man like it's fucking awesome yeah thanks you know i've I guess I guess I've suffered enough in my life that I you know I, I I've learned how how much people are suffering whether it's just you know you know pain inflammation anxiety depression people struggle mm-hmm. with sleep you know I've learned when, since I've been in the space because I've run into a lot of different patients I'm I'm always speaking and I'm always you know mingling with people that are banged up and trying to help them it's uh, I don't want I, I don't want to hear anymore how people are suffering i want to help them you know what i mean i want to limit the suffering that's going on, on this planet i know i can't help 7.8 billion people but at least in my network of people in my world if i can help increase quality of life for someone or change you know change their lives in a positive fashion like that that's what i want to do and i i know the younger generation i know what it's like to be a young guy trying to figure this world out and um, with a lot of misdirection, you know, I, I realized that we've been misled in so many different ways. So if I could be a light a little bit in, in choosing, especially when we talk about the drug world and managing stress, you know, like we all need to manage mm-hmm. our stress. And traditionally, we seem to lean on alcohol again, because it's illegal. And I think people are trying to accomplish managing stress through alcohol. Um, unfortunately, it really doesn't do the job the right way. You know, at the time, it might seem like that. In the moment, it might seem everything is great. But you're waking up feeling like shit. You're waking up, you know, um, with the same problems you had the night before. And you haven't figured out any of it. You had a good time on paper. Uh, probably not, you know. You know, you've probably done something yeah. stupid too. Um, but guess what? you got to face the world the next day. And I, I feel like, you know, the cannabis, just from that perspective, as an alternative to alcohol to manage anxiety and stress, like you, you, your world would be a whole, such a better place. Just from understanding that, you know, and then, then, then getting into a whole other world of nutrition. Like, if I had been taught about nutrition growing up, like, besides just eat, you know, just eat and consume. You know, we've been trained to be mm-hmm. consumerists. We're, you know, we, we live in a world of consumerism. It's just like, okay, we'll just keep eating and eating and eating. And, you know, I, I was a fighter, so I was, you know, eating to gain weight, you know, mindlessly consuming calories without even having a, a connection to my food. But, you know, if, if we looked at food as a drug, which it is <laughs> – I'm not talking about whole foods that grow in your garden. I'm talking about the refined sugar that's you know plagued uh, the processed food system that most people consume on a daily basis. Don't even understand how much sugar they're consuming. The definition of a Schedule One drug: highly addictive and no medicinal value. It's white sugar, refined sugar. You know what I mean? And that's and that's in, in all of our food. But if if I was taught that back in the day, well, guess what? I mean, 
may, maybe I wouldn't have, you know, consumed as much crap as I did and, you know, and, and had my gallbladder, you know, removed when I was 16 years old and all these other things that happened in my life, like, you know, that were attributed to, you know, bad diet. And, um, and again, my, my point being is that like, we're not taught the most important mm-hmm. things in life. You know, w- you know, our parents are trying to do the, the best thing with the tools and the information they have, but most parents weren't trained about, you know, the prohibition of cannabis. Mine weren't. And I love my parents to death. They just did the best with, with the, with the information they had. And that was just like, stay away from this, stay away from this and stay away from this, but this is okay, but this is okay. And, and the most abused drug on the planet is food. It's sugar. And we don't even like look at that. We don't even have that conversation when we're talking about drugs. You know, we want to talk about illegal drugs. We want to talk about one, you know, heroin and, and, and opioids and, and cannabis and, and alcohol. If, if we even throw alcohol in that conversation, but we don't, we're not honest with it. So I just learned that these, these, these simple understandings that aren't being taught really do influence a lot of guys lives in a very negative fashion. I mean, you, you guys mm-hmm. come from the hockey world. I mean, how many guys, do you know, that probably have alcohol problems or, or opioid problems or sleeping pill problems if they were just taught the right way. I mean, maybe the younger generation now maybe has a little more grasp on it because of the age of information. If you're born now and if you've been born in the last 15, 20 years, like you've had access yep. to the Internet, you've had access to, to, to getting more information besides information that's presented to you. And you can actually lay out all the information you get and make an, a, a conscious understanding of, of what it all means. But. I think before that, again, like I played with so many guys that are in and out of the substance abuse program still. Boozers, you know what I mean? They drink, they drink, they drink. They drink themselves to, 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 until they pass out. And, and they drink themselves into oblivion. And, and there's a better way, man. It's and, and, and I'm living proof of that. And I'm just one who spread that message because it's about no, harm that's reduction. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, you know, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying, you know, all, clearly prohibition doesn't work no matter what it is. I'm not saying ban ban booze, but like at least bring some balance back in the equation of where, where guys can actually use cannabis. Even if we're not talking about medical cannabis, like recreational cannabis, the world would be a better place if there was more smokers than than drinkers. I can uh, assure you that. that. And public health would increase. Public health increases naturally. Look at cannabis. I look at cannabis as like a proactive, preventative measure to health and wellness. We're so reactive when we talk about medicine. We're so reactive when we talk about cannabis. Well, you got you got to have MS. You got to have can you got to have this disease state to have cannabis. You you couldn't just be an average guy in the street that just consumes cannabis to manage your pain and sleep and, and anxiety and, and and pain. You couldn't just use that, you know. It's like this whole medical world you have to we have to filter down. So, to me, there's this, there's these conversations that don't happen regularly enough that are real that are really about public health and are really about harm reduction that. If we can, you know, I'm not, I'm not swapping one out for the other, but I mean, at least bringing the other one in more in tune with well, how much we, we drink alcohol, we could bring some balance and, and people will drink less if they had access to recreational oh, yeah. cannabis. You've seen that in legal states. For Absolutely. sure. And like we see it with like, you know, uh, medicinal state of PA right now. It's like they're just going to tax it. I mean, tax the hell out of it right now until it becomes recreational. It's one of those things, like, even in Canada, everyone used to, like, all my buddies that played juniors up in Canada, they said that it's super expensive at first until it became recreational and then it's like, you know, back to normal prices. And it's like, if you can make it as cheap as alcohol is, people would buy it left and right. And like you said, the crime rate would go down tremendously and you wouldn't have stupid decisions. You would have a less, like you would have less prisoners 
just because of the bullshit that they probably got locked up for with cannabis on the record. Like, it's just, I don't know. For sure. If you, if, if you want to compare, like, just dry flower mm-hmm. cannabis, the, 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 most, the, the, the most unprocessed version of cannabis versus alcohol, I mean, you're talking about herb. I mean, it should be way cheaper than alcohol. I mean, it, it should be grown like basil. I mean, you should be able to give this shit away for free <laughs> if it was done properly. You know what I mean? You should be able to grow this stuff in your backyard, in your basement, or wherever. I mean, you should be able to have home grow. Where you, you're talking about an herb, this should be like subsidized. Like, um, and, and once you get into processing of oils, that's where you know that's where they start jacking up the price. But the only way to undercut the black market. Is to beat the black market prices. You know, you look at Uruguay is the first country to, to go full legalization. They went one dollar grams, one dollar. Think about that for a second. That undercuts the black market overnight and makes it affordable. And it just it changes it just changes public health overnight. You have that, yeah. You- very simple, very very simple. But that's not going to happen in the U.S. Obviously, because we have to have we got to keep these corporate cannabis companies Bullshit. afloat. But that's just, you know, obviously just, just comparing dry flour, but the processing, you know, you said the medical program, the, the prices. Yeah. I mean, if you go to a medical cannabis dispensary here in Pennsylvania, like $65 for a half gram of, uh, you know, of a, a, a vape oil, like a vape cartridge, like that's insane. Who the no. hell can afford that? Um, you know, the black market, you could buy, you could buy a full gram, probably not the same quality, but um, a full gram for like 30 or $40. You know what I mean? So like, until these numbers start going more to where they're supposed to be, um, there's always going to be a black market, and and patients are are kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. Do I go legal and pay way more, or do I stay illegal and pay way less? You know what I mean? It's like, come on, no. guys! Like, it's very very apparent, and it's, it's I know it takes some time, but like, we're talking about an herb, especially on the dry flower portion of it, which is like you know the, the quote unquote recreational or you know i understand do some people do smoke you know therapeutically medically but nonetheless like uh, it's an herb and it should be the one thing I'll, I'll touch on that rouse is like i think a lot of people especially in like pennsylvania like since new jersey just got passed recreationally it's i think a lot of people don't want to get medicinal or the medicinal card is because they don't want to pay that money and then you know say months down the road a bill gets passed for recreational and then it's like ah oh, i just waste all that money when you can just go now so a couple months later and but even still like you said it's going to be taxed the hell out of it for the first few like months maybe in the first year yeah like the recreational side they'll, they'll, they'll make sure they tax that enough where the cost is actually probably above the medical program because otherwise if it's not the medical patients like you said they'll, they'll just go they'll just go to the recreational program yep. it's the same cannabis like you look at you look at like a, a licensed producer in canada whether whether you're strictly medical or both the medical cannabis and the recreational cannabis comes from the exact same source, the exact same grow. One's just labeled medical, the other one's labeled medical, so or recreational. So um, people know that. I mean, a person that just kind of learning about this might not know that, but anybody that's using cannabis knows that. So they have to keep their prices in check, otherwise people are going to do that. And I think the card, I think I paid like I'm a I'm a I'm a registered medical patient in Pennsylvania, and I think. I think my initial consult was a hundred bucks and you got to pay the department of health 50 bucks. Um, um, you know, you're in it, you're, you're in it for probably 150 or 200 bucks to be a medical patient, but the, the prices better be better than the recreational market. Cause you're going to see, you're going to see Pennsylvanians going to New Jersey, just cross the border and go to a recreational dispensary and buy the exact same yeah. products. 
Um, you know what I mean? Um, but you know, it's, uh, but you know, I have to believe they're going to tax it heavily or that they're going to, they're going to try and, um, you know, avoid that. So we'll see. Yeah, man, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, time will tell. And hopefully, I mean, your word of mouth spreads enough to get people to realize that cannabis isn't a bad drug. Never was. But TJ, do you have anything to say, brother? Yeah, I got, I got two questions for Rouse, uh, going back to playing. If you could pick one opponent in present day that you've never had a fight with in the NHL or who would it be? Like a, a, dream, a dream player, you know, present or uh, like somebody you never fought in, in, before. Well, I, would, I mean, I would I would have liked to have fought Rob Rob Probert only because he's you know the best that ever you know the best that ever yeah. did the job. Um, you know, he's uh, he's a he's a Absolutely. he's a legend. Yeah. I, I would have fought him. I fought. I mean, I fought many guys that fought him. You know, it was one of those things. But uh, you know, I never played against him. Never had the opportunity to play against him. Otherwise, I probably would have fought him. But um, yeah, I mean, he's he's legendary. So he, he would definitely Absolutely. be up there. And the last thing, the last thing my, my wife told me not to mention is uh, when you were playing with Philadelphia, <laughs> you were out with a hand injury the one time, and we ran into you when you were walking in the parking lot to your car, and <laughs> she pronounced her love to you, invited uh, invited you to our wedding, and and she told me not to bring that up to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> I, I I mean I don't remember the exact exact moment, but I do remember having the hand injury, and um, that's that's, yeah. that's funny. What did you I said say? yeah, send me an invite. <laughs> yeah, I've actually been a few, I've been a part of a few a few different weddings, believe it or not. When I played, I actually dropped uh, um, when I when I was injured with a foot injury with the Phantom. Still, I actually well, I'm dropping the puck, but I, I ended up wearing a suit on the ice oh, yeah. right to center ice, and they actually facilitated a <laughs> wedding wow. in Wells Fargo Center. Um, and I was apparently I was apparently the 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 the, the best nice. man. So. Oh, oh my god! It's yeah. probably like the guy's brothers right next to him. Like, God, fuck you, Riley. That's my spot. Yeah, right. Hey, man. But I'll tell show. you what. Thank you so much for coming on, and we greatly appreciate. It. Oh man. Yeah, absolutely. We thank you. And uh, I'll, no problem. I'll see you guys. soon if I ever play you in men's league for the sticks. So. Sounds good. We got a big, uh, big final game tonight against. The yeah, Mueller already so. texted me to to play. And, uh, <laughs> Did he? Don't worry, that's man. hilarious. But uh, all right, man, it was good talking. I appreciate you, Riley. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Riles. Appreciate it. You too. See you, See you guys anytime. Bye bye. So for wow. anyone, that was Riley Cote. If you couldn't tell, he is pro cannabis. He basically survives playing pro hockey and his his type of job. I mean. He got realized he fought for a living. So like going to bed at night, most fighters that don't smoke or don't use cannabis, um, they don't sleep at night and you know, their mind all different types of ways. And I think for him that it's kind of want to hit those things that like in his mind that didn't do it or if he didn't smoke cannabis, I don't think, you know, he'd be in the state that he is in today. But anyway, to get on a better subject, Riley Cote, man, that was just sick. That was awesome. That that was great. That that was it's it's awesome that guys like him want to come on the podcast and talk and it, it's just it's a it's a beautiful thing, man. No, yeah, for sure, man. And I'll tell you what, he is I I met him plenty of times off the ice and he is just like that off the ice, like in in person, just a nice freaking guy to talk to and Yeah. He's just very humble, man. Like even when I was working for the Phantoms and he was the assistant coach, like he was never the guy to really like lash out or 
I don't know, man. He was always just very to himself, just, hey, how are you? And he was just a good dude. Yeah, he he seems like it, man. He's he's very he's very down to earth that he that he what he wants he wants to do he wants to help out guys you know that are are, are stuck in life and can't get ahead. Look at Gumi. Oh, Look yeah. at Gumi last podcast. He even said he was like, I went to Riley for the one on ones to talk to, and he was kind of the guy that was always there for him, not just as a coach, but you know, as a personal like mentor. And it was one of those things that even though that. Riley bagged him at or before a, a game or something like that. It was all because he was trying to build him as a player, not to degrade him or anything like that. So I don't know, man. It's just it kind of shows all around in the hockey world that everyone has a heart in this in this sport, and it's not they're not here for the money, man. Like again, again, it's why it's the best fucking game in the world. Yeah, man. I mean, look at Sidney Crosby. Look at the top players in the world taking pay cuts just so that they can get their team better. Like, oh, for sure. That's that's insane. Uh, I love that, man. And um, it was kind of another thing that we didn't really get to ask. And I don't know if it was you or um, a fan brought it in. But in a yearly sense, what is the best time of year for hockey? What would you have to say yours would be? Uh, I would I uh, to me, I, I would have to say, you know, the NHL playoffs and possibly, you know, the world juniors. Yeah. I mean, to me, you know, it's just, I, I love watching the playoffs because it's, it's a new, it's basically a new, it's another season mm-hmm. for the guys, man. And they just, it, you get to see what teams are really made of. They, they bust their, their balls for 82 games. And then they play a possible, what? 60, 16 to 24. If that, if that's the correct number, you know, they got to get 16 wins. Correct. Correct. So, 16 to 24 extra games they're going to play, you know, that's almost 190 to hundred games, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and guys are willing to put everything on the line there and, and you, it shows how exciting hockey really is during the playoffs. And I mean, with world juniors, it's also the same, like kids are, are playing to get drafted or get looked at, or some kids are already drafted and playing. And it's just, it, it's crazy. Like we touched on the whole thing with, with Caden Primo, you know what I mean? Like he came from the EHL, playing world juniors and now he just signed the entry-level contract with canadians yeah like, fuck man uh, it's like anything can happen it, it really can if you put your mind to it but i mean i'm not a i'm not a big i'm not really big on you know the college frozen four i i, I never was i and i probably never will be unless my kids make it one day but I, i'm really big on you know the nhl playoffs and and the uh, world juniors you my biggest thing about the Frozen Four is, like, a lot of people are going to probably heckle me about this. Well, either way, go fuck yourself. So, Frozen Four, I think if they keep it in the collegiate level where, like, they keep it in nothing but, like, college stadiums or college rinks, I think that would be awesome because it's able to bring the fans in from the actual schools. Like, for instance, look at PPL. Like, don't get me wrong. I wasn't there, so I don't really know what it was like, but – Every single snap that I was seeing, it was nothing but, like, just local fans. It wasn't, like, school kids from, like, the actual colleges there cheering them on. Like, if you ever watch NCAA games, they are packed with student section. Like, Oh, absolutely. And, and, and I don't want to interrupt you, but, like, I, one time my, my buddy went to the one in Philly and said it was, a, it was packed, man. But that's Philly. It's a big Philly. It's a big market. Yeah. But look at Allentown. Like, no one really knows where Allentown no, is. Yeah. 
no, nobody's going to go to Allentown unless you're fucking Billy Joel. <laughs> exactly. And my biggest thing is, is like, like I said before, if you keep it and like, if you do want to bring it to like a big event, bring it to a city where it's central to everyone, not like, like East Coast where like a Western team has to come over and fucking play because no one, none of their fans are going to come over. Like if you make it a central location for everyone, then like, I'm all about it. Like I love the Frozen Four. It's better than March Madness because I don't fucking like basketball, but uh, you can never go wrong with NHL playoffs. Um, it's nice to see a lot of, like like I said, man, you see so many. Look at Jack Hughes. Like, he's tiny as shit, and he's made – or what? He made his NHL debut how long ago? I can – like, I forget. I think it was recent. But either way, the kid had a point off his first game, and it's because he's a puck-moving defenseman. And, like, dude, the kid just played with such these. Like, he literally played like he's been playing in the show for the past, like, four years because he just had such confidence when I watched his highlight. I was like, dude, this kid's going to be a nasty D-man for them. Like, they have Brock Besser, fucking Jack Hughes, Pedersen, and fuck, who's that other kid? Oh, my God. No, I think it was his brother, Quinn. Or Quinn. I'm sorry, Quinn. Quinn. Yeah, Go Quinn. fuck Quinn's myself. I'm a yeah, Jack, Jack's still with uh, the developmental. He's yeah. 18. Quinn. Dude, that Quinn. kid was nasty. Yeah. Mm. Trust me, I'm gonna get Mason at work telling me, "Oh, you said Jack Hughes, oh, yeah. fucking." Or you get Lynn Lynn Harris, man. Lynn Harris, he he was big on Jack Hughes coming to Philly. Yeah, well, Lynn Harris, go try out NAHL. Yeah. <laughs> but let me. I wanted to ask you a question before I came on that I actually seen the Flyers uh, gave extensions to Cam Talbot, mm. Michael Neuverth. And Brian Elliott. Oh, my God. Why are we – I don't get why they're extending three goalies when they already have heart. Like, what, they need one more goalie. That's it. You think that after them getting rid of Solars, like, they'd be on the right path to just keep it going? Oh, it, it, it was not the right path. It really wasn't. Like, hey, let's, let's trade away a fucking young kid for somebody that's going to play two games. I think his third game is going to be this uh, tomorrow. I think what they want, though, from Cam – or from – yeah, from Cam Talbot is, like – they want him to basically be like a mentor for Carter. You know what I mean? Like he has experience playing in the show, but like, yeah. look at Elliot. I think I, I don't really want to quote a lot of things because like, I'm not a hundred percent sure on it, but my biggest thing is from what I can see is I think they're trying to build off of experience and basically push Carter to play even harder because now it's like, Oh, he has competition, and all three of them are experienced goaltenders. All three of them are decent goaltenders, and Carter's young man. Like I think that realized, like either he's gonna get sent down, or I don't know if they're gonna send him down. So, so let me just say something for the audience doesn't know. Okay, Cam Talbot's making four. What is it? Four point one right now million. Brian Elliott's making two point seven. Okay. And Michael Neuverth is making two point five. So and t- Carter Hart Carter Hart's making seven hundred thirty thousand dollars. Okay, so that sucks. So I, it, it, that really I, sucks to me. To me, if fucking Brian Elliott, I, I'm not a big fan of him. I'm not. I I just it's my biggest it, issue is if they do the same shit that they did to Stoli, where they fucking throw him down to this farm system for the next like how many years, and then all of a sudden, oh. 
he progressed enough to go play in the NHL, let's just get rid of him now. I'm gonna be yeah. I'm gonna snap. I will literally fucking snap. Like, just keep him fucking up there. He's not gonna win every game, obviously, but he's got to build to their speed. Like, oh, he ha- and, and and watching the game yesterday against the Rangers, man, it was just. I, I get it, man. The day before they got they, they got mathematically eliminated, but like, there was no heart yesterday on that team. None. I think that's just because they realize like they're out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know. It, a lot's got to change, man. Like mentality. We have bucks on that team. Like, I don't know. It's just one of those things that we have to get the younger guys in our system to develop. Not necessarily quicker, but uh, I guess you can say quicker. They just need to be more prepared. I think because the biggest thing that you know a lot of guys tell us or to not tell me, but tell or I hear it, especially in the A is like. When you bump up to the A to the to the NHL, it's all about playing simpler hockey. It's all about yeah. you know, how quick it is and how quick you can make your decision. Not about how nasty your toe is. Like, dude, you have a good toe drag in fucking sixteen AAA or like men's league, cool. Like that doesn't mean shit when you make it to the bigger leagues. Like you can do that in the O, you can do that in the like NAHL, like because finesse is really starting to become like the part of the game in hockey. Like there's nothing really more there's no more hitting, I should say, really. Like, there is, but it's nothing but speed, pure finesse, and just smart hockey. Like, you don't really see a lot of guys fighting it up anymore unless it's necessary. I don't know. No, it, yeah, it's, 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 it is what it is. Yeah, it's one of those things that it depends on the coach. It depends on the team, on what the system they're, they're running and the type of organization they are. I mean, it could be scouting kids that they need fighters and – that's what their entire system is going to be evolving around. Like, I don't know. Like I said, I, I'm i not a coach, nor will I be. I'm just here predicting and seeing, like, observations of mine that, you know, I need to spit out. It's just one yeah. of the things that, like, you see things and it's like, how can you not say something about that? But anyway, man, um, I'll tell you what, having Riley on today, I appreciate the hell out of it. And before yeah, we man. go, I definitely want to talk about our sponsors. Absolutely. So real quick, as everyone known before, Goodwood Hockey is a small company that's ran by Kelly. Well, she started it. Um, she's partnered up with Don Chiavu and Goodwood Hockey each year. They make a small do- or not a small donation, but each year they focus on one specific design. Of it. And this season it's Live Love Hockey. And that is a woman's shirt and also a small girl shirt. And every time you purchase one of those shirts, a uh, small of, um, the money actually goes to a charity for water. And what that's doing is providing clean water around the entire world. Um, so every time you purchase one of those shirts, live love hockey from goodwoodhockey.com. Like I said, a small portion of the funds go to a charity for clean water. So go, go look at goodwoodhockey.com and let us know what you think. No, and I just wanted to, you know, touch on the whole monster hockey sticks. We, uh, we're appreciative of them sponsoring us. You know, they got the, the monster original, it's a handcrafted, you know, stick with the best performance balance and durability. I, I had a chance to use it two weeks ago in a tournament. And uh, I tell you, it just took off, took off from the blade, man. It was great. You can go check them out at monster-sticks.com or check them out on Instagram at monster sticks. And last but not least, bear beards. If you go to uh, Etsy.com, Check out Bear Beards. They have all the type of beer necessities, such as oils, bombs, um, 
they also have chapstick type of t-shirts. They have combs. So, like I said, if you also want to check them out on Facebook as well, it's B-A-R-E. Um, and that's where you get all the reviews, their pricings on Etsy. So go to Etsy.com as well um, to do all the orders. And if you use our promo code GONGSHOW10, you get 10% off your entire order. But other than that, we appreciate everyone listening in again. And stay tuned for another episode. Stay dusty. Stay dusty.